A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia. And today we're going to have a conversation that actually matters, my friends. Hello, I love you, and welcome to episode 11. It feels like I've been doing this a little bit longer. I don't know if it's because podcasts take longer to produce than blogs do, but it just feels like I've been doing this for a lot, long, a lot longer than I have. But 11 episodes, it's like uh, over two months, going on three months. Crazy! Anyways... Um, yeah, today um, we're going to have a conversation like the title suggests. We're going to be talking about the election. We're going to be talking about politics. We're going to be talking about identity. And I just feel like this is a good place for us to have a quick discussion about this. And not to mention, I know for myself, um, most of my friends are voting. Um, I don't want to say how they should be voting because who am I to say that? But I do think they're voting with intellectual integrity, let's say. Intellectual and moral integrity. And a lot of times, sometimes we don't know how to approach our friends who may be still on the fence or maybe don't know how to vote or who to vote for. So we're going to talk about that. Before we jump into that, um, I want to let you know that the Reformation Project in LA, man, if you were there, that was incredible, wasn't it? I had the pleasure of leading worship there and Got to sit through all the teachings, also while live-tweeting them from the Reformation Project's account, which was so incredible. And I just, I'm blown away at the how every single year the caliber of speakers increases, the content is richer and more diverse, and you just get to see this bigger, expansive gospel, like, you get to see, like, the bigness of God, and, like, it always just blows my mind that there's always more. There's always more of God, and more of God is always good, right? So um, if you missed the Reformation Project, don't worry. All of the keynotes are going to be listed and posted online at Reformation Project's YouTube channel. You can just search Reformation Project on YouTube to find them, or you can go over to my page, thekevingarcia.com, and under the Start Here tab, I have a page called Stuff That You Should Watch. And I've compiled my favorite videos on intersections of faith, sexuality, um, race. Uh, There's a lot of really, really great stuff in there. Everything from TRP stuff, GCN stuff, um, my own personal stuff. So uh, check that out. And before I jump in here, I'm going to kind of do, like I did last time, I'm going to do my credits at the beginning and not the end. I want to give a huge shout out to my Patreon supporters who have been incredible with the amount of support they've been giving me. We're up to $201 per month, which I can't even believe that. Um, My goal right now is to get to $500 a month because um, right now um, that supports uh, blog editing, that supports um, some new stock footage that we're looking on. Um, Now that we're up to $200, I'm actually going to be purchasing some Facebook ads to kind of push this content out a little bit further, which is so exciting. Um, but I'm budgeting about $50 per month for that if we can. Um, but it would also help to have a little bit more support. So if you love this podcast, if you like what's been going on, or if you like my blog or the content we're creating there, 
you can become a supporter through Patreon, which is a great platform for supporting the creatives in your life who are, you know, creating the content you're consuming. Even if it's just $1, $3, $5, $10 a month, it makes a huge amount of difference in the life of your creatives. It makes a huge difference for me, especially because I am just a server right now. And it, you know, helps me pay my bills and not have to get a second job. So if you like what we've been doing uh, with the blog and this podcast, go over to thekevingarcia.com slash support and learn how you can become a patron and learn about all the great perks that come along with that. Additionally, if you um, didn't get a Bad Theology Kills shirt, um, the black one finally came in. That one looks amazing. And I'm super, super proud of that product. So we're relaunching it again. Um, this month, we're actually going to be giving 20% of all the proceeds from the Bad Theology Kills shirt to the Reformation Project, especially because we're at a season where I just really am in love with the work that we're doing with the Reformation Project. I'll give you more on that, but if you want to pick up a Bad Theology Kills shirt um, and support the Reformation Project as well, you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash merch. If you want to know what it looks like, go to my Instagram page and check it out because it looks hot. It really does look so good. Um, so that's that. Last thing, um, I'm a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network. I know I say that every single week, but we are such a fun crew of people. We are a collection of creative sounding off on things that matter. Everything from movie reviews to politics to creativity. There's a podcast out there for you, I'm sure. So why don't you go check them out? Um, check out Starving Critics, and they're talking about movie and TV reviews. Um, especially with all the great films that are coming out in November, you definitely want to be tuned into them. It's fun, it's light, it's something a lot different than me, which is something I enjoy. Additionally, if you want to reach better audiences and bigger audiences, you can actually um, buy ads through the Bedlam Podcast Network. We reach um, about a thousand people a week, I think it is, um, across different platforms. And also, did you know that people who listen to podcasts are more likely to purchase your product because... We know that when we vet our products and people that it's actually uh, it's good stuff. So if you are a blogger, if you are a creative, if you are a, uh, a maker and you have something that you want to promote, come promote it with us with the Bedlam Podcast Network. You can check out bedlampodcasts.com to find out more about that. Now that I've taken another sip of my coffee, I am ready to go. Are you ready? Let's buckle in, friends. Let's have a discussion real quick. The 2016 election is next week. And most everyone is overjoyed because, holy shit, it's almost over. Thank God. We're over it. I'm over it. The whole world is over it. Um, it's been a circus, to say the least. You know, it's it's been kind of an exhausting year. I remember back when we all thought that Donald Trump was never going to get the nomination. That was a joke. And a lot of us were feeling the burn. I know that I was. I was super in support of Bernie Sanders. Still am. Still love the guy. And I'm super excited about what he's going to be able to do in the Senate as well. But a lot has shifted in the past six months, hasn't it? There has been a lot of division and a lot of anger and a lot of anxiety floating around 
and there's still a lot of uncertainty about like where we're headed. Even on Facebook this morning, I I saw people saying, I don't know who to vote for. I feel conflicted. And personally, I find that strange. Um, simply given the candidates we have, it, it kind of, to me, it seems like an obvious choice, but we'll get into why I think it's an obvious choice later. So th- let me break it down. This is what we're going to talk about. First, we're going to talk about why people are actually voting for Donald Trump, because they have to have reasons, right? And at least from my perspective and what I've observed and read from very, very smart people, this is my thoughts on that. And while we're talking about that, we're going to talk about national identity, Christian identity, and your identity. After that, I'm going to talk about why I'm voting for who I'm voting for. We'll talk about third-party candidates and why they might not be the best choice in this moment. And then after that, I'm going to talk to you, well, kind of in the mix of all that, I'm going to talk to you about why you should actually vote, because there's a lot of us who cannot opt out of this process, because the process and the realm of politics affects us every single day. It affects us directly. So why are people voting for Donald Trump? Here's the deal. From the moment Donald Trump was named the Republican nominee, there should have been zero question about not voting for him. Am I right? Can I get an amen out there? You can say amen in your car while you're driving. It's not going to be weird. Now, granted, I know there's a whole group of people out there who are diehard Trump supporters. And on, like, you know, face value, I look at these people and my face gets kind of scrunchy and I, like, my eyes narrow and I'm just like, why? You know, help me understand this. And I think I finally come to understand them a little bit because I, I try my best and my hardest to see their humanity. My friend Mike Maharg, a.k.a. Science Mike, who was a guest on the first podcast of A Tiny Revolution, he said the other day on Twitter, social identity is one hell of a drug. And that's where a lot of Trump support comes from. A social group that has been not listened to by its leaders then opted for somebody who promises to give them what they want. And this group is um, made up of two people. It's made up of middle to upper class, white, uh, mostly evangelical Southerners, um, and people who live in more rural communities who are very comfortable, who see their social identity wrapped up in the power that they still have and the privileges that they have as being, you know, white, middle, middle to upper class, usually not gay folks, but I've met some gay men who are, are, who are voting for Trump, which is still uh, frightening is a word I'd use. Um, and then also um, lower to middle class, poorer white Southerners um, and rural people who have been pretty much forgotten by the majority of their Republican leaders whom they voted for. But before we get into those people, let us start with a little bit of a history lesson. How did we get here? How did evangelicalism, how did Christianity in America get wrapped up in the politics of this? So let me say this. Politics is not a bad thing, or are not a bad thing. What is grammar, right? Anyways, sorry. Politics are not a bad thing. And believe it or not, I think that most of the time, politicians go into public service because they genuinely care about their communities, their cities, their country, and they go into it with a grand vision of making these spaces better. Now, granted, some people go into it bringing with them their own set of beliefs and values, which not everybody subscribes to. And Christians among Americans are pretty much the worst at this hashtag colonization of the entire world. And truthfully, because of 
quote-unquote Christian values. Segregation was the law of the land. You know, slavery was okay. The uh, genocide of Native peoples in what we now call America was okay because Christian values. And also because of that, so like fast forward to the first civil rights movement. That's when um, segregation was outlawed. That's when integration happened. And that is also when white flight happened. It was a time when political leaders partnered with Christian leaders to create schools, colleges, and communities that allowed them to be exempt from the national law that listed race as a protected class of citizen. And this was all under the guise of what they called religious freedom, so that they could do as they see fit, so they didn't have to prescribe to actually honoring people's humanity and like honoring what the government was saying about people's humanity. They were able to stay insulated. And this is what gave rise to the religious right. Like I said, a bunch of politicians got together with a bunch of evangelical pastors and began to organize them to vote down a very specific party line, calling it God's will, or this is the godly thing to do. This is the way of Christ, which is so strange to me because the only time that Jesus ever dealt with a politician was when he was in front of Pontius Pilate being given a death sentence. But what do I know? I just read my Bible. They called voting the most important duty that we have as Christians, second only to your devotion in Jesus Christ. Not taking care of the poor, not loving your neighbor, or being good parents, or being good members of society, or giving to those who were in need. Voting. Voting a very particular way. That was your duty. That's what it meant to be a Christian in this country, which is why we still have evangelicalism, which is so hyper- to the right, so hyper-polarized, so anti-everything that is not white, southern, evangelical, etc. And I also think that this is where purity culture began to find its footing. And if you don't know what purity culture is, that is a system of beliefs that specifically ties your self-worth to your lack of sexual intercourse until marriage. Marriage between uh, a man and a woman, of course, and Also, it put an intense amount of pressure on women and girls to be the ones to protect this virtuous idea. You you don't wear certain clothes because you don't want to cause the boys to lust. You don't want to look too pretty, but still be feminine because you're a woman. Um, But don't be sexual because that's sinful. But make sure that you please your husband on your wedding night and bear children because that's your duty as a wife. That's what purity culture tells people and still continues to damage today. It was a product of the patriarchy and it's just... Uh, if you ever read I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that is the pinnacle of what I think purity culture has done to us. And it's still prevalent today in evangelicalism, and it's brought a lot of pain to a lot of people because it says that women are these things that we should pursue and protect and, and, and bargain for, and that your that your heart can be ripped up and given away to a thousand pieces. And I don't buy into that, but these the set of beliefs... That It was tied up a lot of shame with sexual activity, and it took the autonomy away from the woman and the control of her own body, and even shamed women if they were the victims of sexual assault or rape. And this is why we get questions of, well, what was she wearing? Or did she make the guy think that she wanted that she wanted that for some reason, and so on and so forth. And so additionally, because of these kinds of teachings, um, when uh, the religious right began to rise and really take hold, As a political force in America, abortion became another main issue for the religious right. Um, And it still is the same today. Most people, I would say, 
honestly don't understand how abortion works or how sex education works, let alone how late-term abortion works. And if you were watching the presidential debate where Trump was making some pretty horrible remarks about late-term abortions, for example, and pardon me for being graphic, but painting the picture that babies were getting ripped out of the womb on the, the last day of their of a woman's pregnancy, that's not how it works. It's never how it worked, and it's not how it works now. Usually late-term abortions happen because of a fatal birth defect found by an ultrasound or some sort of test performed by the doctor and either threatens the baby's life or the mother's life, or both. And so a decision has to be made to possibly deliver the baby early or terminate the pregnancy in order to save a mother's life. And people would argue that so she should try to deliver the baby anyway in case there's a chance that she or the baby could live. But I, I would argue that that's the same mindset we had in the Middle Ages, right? And I think that if we have the choice to save somebody's life, that we should. And either way, it's a painful choice because you're you're losing something. You're losing a life either way. And and I'll, I'll make it clear, like, I don't like abortion um, in any level, whether it's a, a person who is only before their first trimester, whether it's the plan B pill, whether I, I don't particularly like it, but I also know that that's not my choice to make to, of how to what to do with my own body. Like I'm never going to have to make that choice because I'm not a woman. And I think nobody should have the power over a woman to dictate what she does with her body. Because no matter what the choice is, it's still a painful choice. And not to mention on top of that, this can be avoided with better sex education in our schools. Teaching abstinence-only education has been proven to not work. It's resulted in increased teen pregnancy, increased STI infections, increased abortion rates. And I'm not even talking about like the, the kind of medically licensed abortions. I'm talking like way back in the day when abortion wasn't legal. It was going behind closed doors with shady people with wires and hot needles and the risk of infection and death. I mean, like, that all happens because we don't have a lack of education. You know, it's the same reason why HIV rates are most prevalent in uh, in men who have sex with men. And, uh, and if you drill down into those numbers, it's within um, black men. And if you drill down those numbers, it's usually uh, LGBT men who have sex with men who... Um, are kicked out of their homes who have to turn tricks in order to survive and then you drill down even further than that it's transgender women of color because they're not even recognized by the united states so you see what i'm talking about there's there's these systems that are much more complicated than we're giving them credit for because people are choosing to isolate themselves and dictate a morality to a group of people who are simply just trying to survive so i guess i don't want to go any further talking about sex education or abortion i think it's probably a podcast for another time but what i am trying to get at with this is that the evangelical vote the religious right it's been wrapped up in a seat of political power for so long that it's lost touch with what it is actually to be a person living in this country to actually be a person period i think and now that different minority groups are finally organizing and demanding a seat at the table I mean, not even just that, but they're demanding justice for themselves. Particularly, you can look at the Black Lives Matter movement. You can look at the LGBT push for equality. These people, my people, were asking simply just to be treated like everybody else. 
and evangelicals, particularly white Southern evangelicals, are getting scared because they feel like their rights are getting taken away from them. But when it comes down to it, they're just simply losing privilege, and privilege is not a right, my friends. And I'll say that again. Losing privilege can often feel like oppression, but it's not, and privilege is not a right. And I'm not trying to ignore the plight of those voting for Trump because it tends to be two kinds of people, like I said at the beginning. It's middle to upper class white people who are holding on to as much power or as little power as they have left, or it's middle or lower or poor white Southerners or rural people who feel left behind by their own party. And so it makes it makes sense to me. It absolutely makes sense that when a Republic, the Republican establishment forgot about them and got bought out by lobbyists in the gun industry, sure, it makes, and especially when they claim to have Christian values, and just because they say, I'm following Jesus, like, of course you want to follow somebody who follows the same faith as you. It just makes sense, but it's it's really just a manipulation. Christian values in America have traditionally meant to vote white, vote Republican, vote for the status quo. And right now, the status quo is excluding a lot of people. And so, yeah, it makes pe- it makes sense to me. People are scared. People are scared of losing what they already have, what they've already scraped together. And they're, they're just trying to hold on to. And now there's a candidate who's come along who's saying, I can give you what you want, a job, better protections, better things for your family. I'm going to get the bad guys out, namely the Muslims, the immigrants, the gays, and we're going to make America great again. And that's a scary reality. But I, when I look at a Trump supporter, when I look at a conservative mind, and there's a part of me that's tempted to say, wow, what a bunch of idiots. As hard as I can, I want to see their humanity, even when they refuse to see mine as a gay person. The, te- the temptation to make the people voting for Trump the enemy, and in some cases, yes, their vote does represent a huge threat to the well-being of our country. You know, I don't, I don't want to become bitter. If I, if I hold on to that, you're an idiot and I have all the right answers, like, that's, that's my ego talking. And if I'm going to move through this world without being bitter, I have to see their humanity. And I have to choose to see it. And I recognize that God sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, I think it's so that my enemies can see me. They can see my life. They can see my own humanity. And they can see because of who I am, not in spite of who I am, God is causing me to flourish as a gay Christian, as a person of mixed race. My life is filled with the fullness of God. And two, I think God God sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies because God is inviting them to come sit down with us and experience the same kind of fullness, freedom, and flourishing. So God's inviting us all to the table. The table being equality and justice. And that's that's God's vision for this world. And it's strange to admit, I think sometimes God even utilizes the government to get more seats at the table for people who have been kept away from the table by even God's followers. Examples being the abolition of slavery, the woman's right to vote, the civil rights movement, the protection of people with disabilities, the protection of religious freedom, uh, same-sex marriage equality, and hopefully as we move forward, the full protection of LGBTQ people under the law. The role of government, in my opinion, is to serve the people, especially those who are most vulnerable and especially those who are being discriminated against. And for a long time, the government could not see people and sometimes still fails to see people who are not, you know, being heard, the people who are on the bottom, who have the boot against their neck. 
And that's why you have entire groups that are banding together and saying things like black people deserve the right to vote, that women should have control over their bodies, that people should marry who they want. And when the government loses its way, when it doesn't look for the people, when it fails to actually fulfill its role, that's when we have riots. That's when we have protests. And that's a good thing. The fact that we have the ability and to actually challenge our government without serious risk of harm or incarceration, that's an amazing thing when we compare it to other countries. Now, granted, I am speaking of someone with a ton of privilege. My skin color allows me a lot more freedom than if I was brown or black. But still, I look at other countries where people are getting mowed down by their governments, and I am I'm very thankful that I live in a place where I can show up to a Black Lives Matter rally and not be shot, not be incarcerated, even though many of my black brothers and sisters are. But that is another discussion entirely as well. So that's where we're at. That's why people are probably voting for Trump. Again, I'm not them. I can't sit in their shoes, but that's just what I observe. Um, It's either to protect the power they have, or it's because they are under an illusion that Trump can give them something they want. And a lot of Pope Excuse me. A lot of folks are wrapped up in a Christian identity that is too close to political ideology than it is to a faith and practice of love and sacrifice, you know, what Jesus taught us to do. And uh, side note, if you want to learn more about the history of the evangelical church in America as it pertains to whiteness and policy and politics, you should pick up a copy of Rescuing Jesus by my friend Deborah G.N. Lee. Um, its full title is Rescuing Jesus, colon how women, people of color, and queer Christians are reclaiming evangelicalism. It's listed on my resource page on my blog, but I'll also include a link of it in the description of this podcast. It is fantastically written, expertly researched, and has a heart for really shedding a light on a lot of the things that we have questions about. Anyway, so Rescuing Jesus, go get it, go read it, get woke. Um, So... Who am I voting for? And this is probably going to come as no surprise to anyone listening, but I am with her. I am voting for Hillary Clinton. So don't turn off the podcast. Don't run away. Don't write me off or leave me a bad review in the iTunes store. That's rude. And also, like, I expect many people listening to this are probably on the same page as me. But you might not know how to talk to your friends or your family or any other conservative person in your circle about this. So... Uh, borrow some of the things I'm going to put out there. Like I said, this morning, I've heard from people who, they see Donald Trump and the Republican establishment, and they say, yeah, I don't want that. But they also look on the other side of the aisle, to the Democrat side, to liberals, and say, no, I don't want that either. And I totally get it. Generally, I tend to fall fairly moderate. I know that I'm leaning more left, but I'd like to think, and I believe that my beliefs are a lot more moderate than they are on any one side of the aisle because uh, I don't believe in aisles. I don't. I try not to believe in the tribal mentality that our politics would like to stir up in us. I try to look for the middle way as much as possible. But this election, I am going to vote for Hillary Clinton because frankly, she is the best candidate. And I, this is going to sound super cocky, but just roll with me. It's, I think it's nearly an objective fact that she is the most qualified candidate. Hillary Clinton has over 30 years of experience on local, national, and international politics and diplomacy. She spent her life fighting and working for the betterment of people, namely children in her early years, 
women during her middle time when she was the Secretary of State. She was working with uh, for immigrants. And now she's standing with the LGBTQ community, which obviously is a, my community. It's the issue that's probably closest to my heart. I think she commands respect nationally and around the world. She has pushed her way through countless barriers to stand where she is now. And now even she has to fight even harder because of the sexism that abounds in our country. I mean, good God, like, how many times have people commented on her outfits? Why is that important? And yet, I know that she has to play the game. I know she has to code switch when she's up there. Not to mention, while she's standing up there getting berated by Donald Trump, she has never once, like, really lashed out at him, but simply just repeated facts to him of things that he's already done. You know, because, like, it's like Nicki Minaj said, like, you know, when you're a woman, like, when you're a dude, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Everyone's like, oh, it's just boys being boys. But when you're a girl, when you're a woman, it's just like, you have to be nice. You have to be pretty. You have to be assertive. But if you can't be too assertive, because if you're too assertive, then you're a bitch. You know, she has to play the game while also working to be, you know, the next leader of the free world. Like, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in her shoes. Not to mention, like, how many times they brought up her husband's indiscretions over the past few years. Like, he's not the one running for president. She is. And frankly, I'm high five for her to keeping her marriage together, even if it's just, like, for show. I can't. I mean, like, can you imagine your, like, your husband being who he is and doing the things he did on a national stage and yet you're still calling him your husband? I wouldn't do it. I'm not strong enough for that. Anyways, moving on. Frankly, I don't really need to say anything bad about Donald Trump because I think he opens his mouth and does that himself. So I'm not going to tell you all the reasons why you should not vote for Donald Trump. If it, if that's not clear by now, you're not paying attention. and Or maybe you fall into one of those groups we talked about earlier. But Trump is Trump. So let me give you my reasons. Again, like I said, I think she is the most qualified candidate. And let me break it down for you why I'm also not voting for the third-party candidates, Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. Uh... Jill Stein of the Green Party, even though I like her visionary mindset, which I think is something that would be a beautiful thing for our country, she's only worked on the local level of government. She only, and like she's pandered to anti-vaxxers, which are people who try to link vaccination with autism, which there is no proof of that. Additionally, her proposal to abolish the student loan debt, as beautiful as that is, would be next to impossible to pull off because it would require printing money that just doesn't exist. And it's highly unlikely for Congress to fall in line with that plan. And a president who can't get people to work with you, is that's problematic, to say the least. And Gary Johnson, every time I've seen him on television, uh, in an interview, he's not been able to hold it together. Like, I like him as a person. Again, I like his platform proposals. Um, but if you can't hold it together in front of a camera, how the hell are you going to hold it together when you're dealing with other world leaders, when you're dealing with national crisis? And what are you, like, and this is, again, this is petty, but just, like, what are you doing showing up wearing jeans to anything? If you're going to be the president of the United States, you need to, like, show up. I mean, like, I'm not one to wear a suit to anything these days, but, like, I don't want my president to be someone who I could just, like, share a beer with. I want my president to be, like, on top of their game. Anyways. Uh, He's got similar plans to Jill Stein um, that seem super simple, but the implications of moving, of those moving parts would affect us all and not in the greatest ways. Like, particularly, uh, he said in one interview that he would eliminate income tax. And 
as much as, again, I like that, and he talked about creating a 28% tax on stuff, there's still, um, like, where, where are you going to make up, I think, like, typically right now, the average person pays 34% in income tax, both state and national, so where are you going to make up that, those percentages between 28 and 34%? It's just it's just incredibly problematic, and he I don't think he's really thought through the details of his own plan. Not to mention, try to abol- abolish the IRS. I don't know if it can actually happen. Not in this cycle, at least. Until there's like, until they're like my big problem with third party people really comes down to you have no chance of winning, and that's what I hate about it. Because I want a third party candidate. I think it'd be brilliant to have a third party candidate, and I'll get into I'll get into why. In just a second. So, Hillary. Do I like everything that she's done? Absolutely not. She's a career politician, and that means she's probably not telling the whole truth about half of what she's been involved with. Uh, but, but Donald Trump has literally lied about pretty much everything he's been involved with and has been proven to be, let's say, unsavory in his character, to say the very least. Has she always stood with the LGBTQ community? No. But to be frank, people change. Like, I didn't stand with the LGBTQ community till like, last year-ish. Um, so for me, like, I'm not going to, like, bash somebody for changing their mind or, like, you know, coming in the game late. The important thing is I think that she is now with us. I'd rather not bad eyes about it. At least not this close to a very important election. And And will she be able to even accomplish half of what she's proposing in her platform? No, probably not. I don't think any politician can because our country is so freaking deadlocked in the legislative branch, which means that we also need to elect leaders who are saying, not necessarily uh, left or right leaders, but leaders who are saying, you know what, whoever is there, I'm going to do my best to find a middle ground that works for the most people. That's what makes sense to me. But of course, everyone is polarized. And... Despite all these things, despite all those things that I just named about Hillary Clinton not being able to do things, she is still the most qualified candidate out of anyone who has a shot of winning right now. Like, think about this like a job application. When someone's applying for a job, you look at their resume, you look at their experience, and you talk to them and gauge whether or not you think they are competent enough to handle the position. In my opinion, and the opinion of about 46% of America, Hillary is the person who best fits the job description. She has the experience, the demeanor, the job resume, 30 years of political experience. She has a comprehensive platform over a litany of issues that this country is facing. And I think if we can elect a Congress that can also support these policies, we're going to be able to see reforms that can do the most good for the most people. And again, I know that my politics lean left, so we can argue about that later. Third-party candidates. There are many people out there who would say voting for a third party is the wave of the future. And yes, I think you're right. I think having a viable third-party candidate is exactly what this country needs in its next political evolution. I mean, wh- where where in America do you get only two choices? That's stupid. So we need a viable Green Party that cares about the environment. We need a party that's socially conservative, excuse me, socially progressive but financially conservative. Um, I mean, I don't really know why that doesn't exist already. But is our country ready for that in this moment, to have the president working in such a brand new way? Is there enough political force behind those candidates to get them elected? No, unfortunately not. And as much as I want to vote third party, as much as I want to be there, it's it's just not a wise move. Because a split vote 
between progressives and liberals gives Donald Trump an actual chance of winning. Prime example, in Maine, the past two election cycles, they elected Governor Paul LePage, who honestly is just as terrible as Trump. He even called himself Trump before Trump was cool. And he got elected twice with less than 40% of the state's vote because of a split vote between the Democrat and the independent running. And again, nothing wrong with having an independent person. But when it does this, there's a, a giant enemy. You don't need to divide, like, you don't need to divide the forces between two good guys. You need to stand behind one good guy. Or girl, as it were. So in nearly any other election, I'd say, sure, vote third party. It really doesn't matter. But this election's too important. There is too much at stake. I mean, between this and this election cycle and the next, if a viable third party candidate can build momentum, can actually build a party to support it, or excuse me, support them, if they stand a chance of winning, so be it. But right now, it's just not wise. If you are a person who claims to be a Christian, if you claim to follow the teachings of Christ, I'm going to put this flat out for you. If you're still considering voting for Donald Trump, you are being a fool. You aren't voting for a Christian man or a moral man. You aren't even voting for a good man. You're empowering a golden calf who you believe can save you from an unknown threat that you can't even put a face on, and that's a threat that does not exist. A Donald Trump presidency poses an actual threat to the lives of poor people and queer people and people of color and women and immigrants, and every marginalized person will be negatively impacted by that human And every marginalized person is exactly who Jesus stood with. Not the people who seek to seize power at the center of the empire. So I'm voting for Hillary Clinton next week. And again, I know it's tempting to maybe not even vote in protest. Because you just don't see a candidate that represents you. Makes sense. And I know that it's tempting to vote for a third party as a kind of middle finger to the establishment. And I'm right there with you. But given that third-party candidates currently have, I think it's around, Gary Johnson's polling around 6%, 6.2%. That's scary because it means that there's more margin for Donald Trump to get elected, just like I said before with the example of Governor LePage from Maine. So let me just look this up real quick. Uh, it's October 26th when I'm recording this. New York Times is is reporting that Hillary is polling at 44.8%. Trump is polling at 40.2%, and Gary Johnson at 6.2%. 4.4 points is all that separates Trump and Clinton. And that's a, that's, for me, that's too close for comfort, to be honest. I know some people say, well, that's actually a really good margin. I'm just like, is it, though? That, for me, is it's terrifying. You know, it scares the living daylights out of me because, I mean, like, look at the blatant racism and sexism, homophobia, xenophobia that... Trump has given permission to just let fly. Because I'm gay, because I'm mixed race, I am directly affected by a policy that Trump could put into place. My right to marry who I want to marry could be taken away. What little protection I do have under the law as a gay man is probably going to get stripped away even further should he get elected. So I also, I could decide just not to vote on November 8th because there's not a perfect candidate. Let me just drop a little bit of truth on you. There has never been a perfect candidate. There's never been a godly leader in America, period. 
We are in a country born out of revolt and war. We are built on the backs of African slaves and water and the ground of our land was watered with the blood of indigenous people. We don't have a Christian nation. We're a nation of broken people leading other broken people. And I'd like to think that we're all finally getting, getting that notion that we're all just trying to make it better. Even if like we're a long way from the ideal. Like we need to recognize that we're not going to get there by simply empowering someone who wants to isolate and marginalize the other, the different. And a lot of Christians are also going to say, well, I don't want to be political. I don't want to be involved in politics. I don't want to bring politics into the church. Sorry, if you live in this country, politics are all around you. The water that comes out of your tap, the roads that you drive on, the metro or public transportation system in your city, uh, the regulation of the food that you buy at the grocery or in restaurants, that's all born out of politics because somebody sat down and made a policy, which is a very unsexy word, but made a policy that said, hey, our water should be clean. How do we know if it's clean? Oh, someone should pave these roads. How, who are we going to hire? What company are we going to hire? What road should have four, four lanes? Which one should only have two lanes? Should we install a traffic light at this intersection? In your restaurants, hey, maybe we should have health standards to make sure that all of our food is cooked so that people don't get sick. You know, who's going to enforce those policies? Who makes those policies? That's born out of politics. So politics, like I said in the beginning, is a good thing. And it's all a lot of like the stuff that affects us on a daily level is born on the local level, not even the state level. And do we ever really engage with local politics? Do you know who sits on your city council? That's a question. Like, you've got to... Like, we're all bitching and moaning about this national election, but really, if you want to affect change in your local level, find out who your state your state representative is. Find out who is fighting for you on the ground, in your county, in your city. That's where we really need to start making changes, like, from the ground up, from the grassroots level. But again, there's people who are just like, I don't want to bring politics into my faith, and I... I mean, depending on your class and your how much money you make, depending on the color of your skin, depending on your sexual orientation, you have the luxury of saying, I don't want to be political. Or even saying, I don't want to bring politics in my faith. You have that privilege. But make no mistake, the brown-skinned refugee rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom many of us claim to follow, was a political figure. He came in and he challenged the system. He challenged the power And the system came after him because he looked at those around him and said, blessed are the poor, not the rich. And he said that the kingdom resides in you and in me. And and it, it comes to life when we actually take care of each other. He said that the empire is not the answer. And he was executed for it. Jesus was the victim of a government-sanctioned execution because he challenged the status quo. He was so entrenched with those deeply affected by the political policies of the day and was asking them to start changing their minds about how they saw it. And he became a victim of an unjust political system. Like, let that sink in a bit. Jesus was the victim of a government-sanctioned execution. You know, I don't want to, like, we don't have to go into, like, substitutionary atonement theory and all that stuff, but just, like, look at it, like... If you read it like like for what it is, like that's literally what happened. And today, we have people who are suffering at the hands of a government who has ignored the cries of its people. In the streets, in the poorest of neighborhoods, on the margins of our culture. And in a time 
when Jesus came on the scene, Israel was crying out for a savior, a king. So God sent Jesus to speak a better word to people, a better way of living. And in the same way, our culture is crying out for justice. And and thus, I believe God is sending you. God is sending me. If we are Jesus manifest presence on the earth, it is our duty to shape the systems that affect those who are most vulnerable. And not only with our votes. Because while a president, Donald Trump, would destroy us, a Madam President, Hillary Clinton, is not going to fix this completely. We have to begin shifting our thoughts, guys. We have to stop thinking about our vote as a me, me, me sort of thing. What do I think? What do I feel? If we want to make this a better society, we have to be willing to lean into the middle a little bit more. We have to give of ourselves and ask, who is in need? What can I do to help them? And is who I am choosing to put in one of the most powerful offices in my country going to affect them positively or negatively? So when you vote next week, obviously think about yourself. Think about your community, your life, your family, but also think about those who are standing on the outside. Think about your gay and your trans, your bi, your queer, your intersex friends, who you may not know yet, but who do definitely exist. Think about your black friends, your brown friends, your immigrant friends, your homeless friends, your Muslim friends, your friends who are in need of assistance because of disability, the ones who Jesus calls friends. You're right in thinking that your one vote by itself doesn't do a lot. But it's not about your one vote. It is about all of our votes. It is about our collective voice being heard. And my question to you is, are you going to use your privilege that you have to speak out for those who have been silenced or been discounted or discarded? Or are you going to say, I just don't care. I'm just really burnt out. I'm just tired of this system. We all are tired. We all are over. We all just want to shake it all up. But we can't stop. I can't stop. I don't get the luxury of being tired because if I get tired, I get left behind. If I get tired, people in my community will keep dying. And yes, people are dying. And the choices we make today will dictate whether we can save their lives or if we are just going to let them go by the wayside unnamed, unclaimed, and unloved. So November 8th, next Tuesday, go vote. And personally, I'm asking you, as your friend, I think you should be voting for Hillary Clinton. Not because she's perfect, not because she's moral, not because she's any of our first choice, but because she is the one who can actually do the most good for the most people in this country. And I honestly, I think it's a matter of life and death. And I do think it's the Christian and I think it's the moral choice to make. that was a lot wasn't it um i'm exhausted i need to go change and get ready for work um i love you i really do thank you so much for listening go over to thekevingarcia.com to get more really really inspirational crap like this um uh make sure you go out and vote tell your friends to vote have a conversation with your aunt and uncle who love trump call your friends take your meds go on a tinder date if you want to Swipe right, find a random person, go get some drinks, because Lord knows we all need it. Okay, that was this week's episode of A Tiny Revolution. I hope that you loved it, and I hope that you know you are loved.
My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you next week. Mwah!